it is I, Graham Norton, and I'm delighted that you're able to join me for this fresh new meeting of my book club. We have an abundance of stories to look at and listen to, and helping me delve into our horn of published plenty, I am joined by the lady of literary lavishness herself, Alex Clark. How are you? Are you fully recovered? I'm fully recovered, and now I'm overflowing. <laughs> you see, my, my cup... It runneth over with new books because, you know, there is a lot to read. I hear you've been in Dublin. I have. I went all the way to Dublin from my little uh, hillside Erie to meet Thomas Keneally. He of Schindler's Ark, as it was when it was published, and then it became Schindler's List following the uh, the filming by Steven Spielberg. He is on a trip, a month-long trip, I think, with his wife to uh, to Ireland, part of which is researching his own Irish ancestry. He's a cork man of Cork heritage. Oh, wow. And he's, there are many, many Keneallys still walking around the streets of Cork. And as he pointed out to me at the age of 87, if he wanders down the street in Cork, many people will think he, could, he might just have stepped out of a local farm. And he does indeed look as if he might have done. So it was just amazing to meet him. He has published so many books. He's simply, there is no way I think his pen will ever rest. And when he's not wandering around the streets of Cork, where is he? He's in Australia, he's in Sydney, lives on the north head of Sydney Bay. In fact, he told me a story of meeting the man who inspired Schindler's List when he was in his shop in Prague, I think. Uh, he was in his handbag shop, uh, happened to remark that he was a novelist, at which point uh, the man said, well, you must write my story. And it was the story that became Schindler's Ark and then oh, Schindler's wow. List. Because usually when people say that, it's the most boring person in the world. Oh, my goodness. And you simply... You I, should, think, I should write a book. And you simply think, <laughs> how is it possible that I am going to extricate myself from yeah. this? Well, the rest is history. Uh, all right, uh, sit up straight and no talking. Our book this week is Old School by Tobias Wolfe, the story of a young man with literary ambitions trying to fit in at an elite private school. Here to talk about it are Shivan, who chose it for us to read, Gerard, Varshini and Saima. Hello, everyone. Hi, Graham. Hello. Hi, Graham. Hi. And Varshini, you made it by the skin of your teeth. Uh, what happened? Uh, so I'm at a country house in Northumberland for my friend's 30th. I've just done the biggest food shop of my life. We got 16 big pizzas, five bags of curly fries. When we went to scan it all in, the till had stopped working. And then eventually had to move all of our shopping. So all the pizzas, all the chocolate, all the like everything we'd bought for the weekend to oh, the next no. hill in baskets. <laughs> so Varshini, when we were heard that you were delayed, I said, well, you can never be cross with a doctor because she's probably doing something really, really life-saving and critical. But now I know it was basically moving pizzas on conveyor belt. She was prescribing curly fries. <laughs> And uh, Shivan, you're still a father of one? <laughs> still a father of one. Okay, fine. Yeah. Just just checking. Just checking. The clock's running. The clock's running. <laughs> and Saima, you're on off on your travels soon, aren't you? Yes, I'm going to the um, Emirates uh, Literature Festival, which I'm really, really looking forward to because there's loads of really exciting people there, including some really exciting doctors. And I'm hoping that I can just oh, go and nab them all for my festival. And actually, Jared, aren't you? You're on the, the move, are you? Yeah, next week, Wednesday, I'm finally getting to go to Jamaica. I've been waiting for such a long time. Um, it's cold, too cold, and I just need to escape. Well, exciting times for all. Uh, we'll come back to you in a bit to find out if old school was A-stars all round or more of a case of could do better. After we've heard from Tobias Wolf himself and after Alex has given us her six of the best. <laughs> Sorry, three of the best. Alex, I bet I know where we're going with this one. 
Well, we had to go back to school, didn't we? We had to go back to our lessons. There was no other choice. I thought school stories, you know, my big, big problem this week, it was just narrowing it down. Okay. Uh, And as we're on the subject of finding yourself, time for a little self-reflection. How are you feeling? Are you happy? Calm? On top of things? At one with the world? If so, stop listening for a moment and close your eyes. Tune in. Take a deep breath. And as you breathe out, just feel how nice it is to be in this vibration. Those are good vibes. Craig David shot to pop star fame in 1999 with hits like Rewind, Seven Days and a UK number one debut album. Since then, his career has had many twists and turns and now he's collected some of the lessons he's learned along the way into a book, What's Your Vibe? Tuning into your best life. He'll be telling us how to do that later on in our talking book slot. All right, settle down for Old School by Tobias Wolf. Honorator is a scholarship boy at an elite private school in early 60s America. He's desperately trying to fit in with the rich, confident, sophisticated boys who surround him. To add to his feelings of difference, his dying mother told him that his father is Jewish, even more alienating in this white Anglo-Saxon Protestant environment. Key to the school's ethos is the veneration of literature. The English teachers are the chosen ones, and boys eagerly hope for their writing to be included in the school magazine. But there's an even bigger prize. The school invites famous writers to visit, and the boys vie to win a one-on-one conversation with their heroes through a writing competition. Arnorator is one of the best writers in the school, and he narrowly misses out on meeting Robert Frost and Ayn Rand, whose visits are described in the book. But then, the big one, Ernest Hemingway is coming. This is the ultimate prize, and he must see off his talented friends, but he can't find inspiration. Then, the night before the deadline, he finds a story in an old literary magazine that perfectly encapsulates his feelings of being an outsider, and he plagiarizes it. He wins the competition, but it leads to his downfall. Tobias Wolfe is best known as a short story writer and memoirist. His This Boy's Life, which deals with his troubled childhood, and Pharaoh's Army, about his time in the military in Vietnam, achieved great critical acclaim. Old School also has some autobiographical elements, including the fact that he too went to an elite boarding school, but came from quite a humble background. When we spoke, I started with whether he felt that class was easier to fake in the US as opposed to the UK. Class is an obvious fact in England. It's much more easily avoided as an obvious kind of fact about you over here, which creates its own problem and one that I succumb to at that school, which is basically it allows you a possibility of deception. Uh, You want so much to fit in that without exactly lying, you give an impression that that is your own life, that is like the life of those around you. And that kind of natural inclination of the young, in fact, need to fit in, can lead to a sense of falsity in in one. And I think that certainly became a problem for me. 
And what's interesting in the book, though, when he when the protagonist finally finds this story that reveals who he is, that is his downfall. Are you saying keep lying? <laughs> the problem is that the story was actually written by someone else, but my narrator is a kind of ideal reader. As a writer, we want our readers to think this is my story, even if it's set in circumstances very different from one's own, that somehow or other that the life that you're opening up, the soul, in a sense, that you are giving to the reader, the reader feels like that is my own soul. There's a kind of transference that happens between a a reader and a successful work of fiction that uh, that gives the reader a sense of ownership and identity with that character or that story that you're reading. That's the magic that the writer wants to accomplish. And our narrator succumbs to it in, let's say, uh, ways that are not allowed for. And I love your use of the student's fiction in the book. How hard was it to get that so pitch perfect? Were you referring back to old journals, old school magazines? Where were you getting that tone? Well, at least one of the stories was based on my own juvenilia, the most egregious of them, actually. I used to read the school literary magazine with an almost predatory kind of competitiveness. And uh, yeah, there are times in the book when I veer pretty close to literal memory, but mostly I allow myself to invent wildly. It's a novel, not a memoir. But you've had such great success with, with memoir. And Stephen Davis, who in fact is a teacher himself, he chose old school for the book club. And he wants to ask about that writing process. How did it differ uh, writing old school compared to This Boy's Life or In Pharaoh's Army? And indeed, why did you choose to make it a novel? The events of my memoirs seem to me to have in themselves a kind of dramatic structure. And my time in this boarding school really didn't. I needed to supply that in ways that necessarily involve fictionalizing. And I don't do that when I write a memoir. I see the line of a story in events that happened to me. In this particular case, I just didn't see the possibility of a memoir in my experience. It would have ended up being a novel anyway. So the best thing for me to do was just tell myself what it is and give myself the freedom to invent as I could. And Stephen also wants to know, to what extent did the literary figures you include in the book shape your own literary tastes or influence your own writing? Well, that is fairly true to life. Jack London was a very early love of mine, and he led rather logically, as you would see, to someone like Hemingway. And Hemingway put me in a world of writers that, you know, writers make up a family and you you meet the brother, then you meet the sister, and then you meet the cousin, and it just branches out infinitely. But uh, I, I will say that the first writer that I ever really fell in love with was a writer that no one hears of anymore named Albert Payson Teryune. He was an American writer who wrote only about collie dogs. All his books were written from the point of view of collies. And my mother had loved those books when she was a girl. She gave me one 
for my, I don't know, seventh birthday, eighth birthday, called Lad, a Dog. And I went on from there. Those are the books I first remember becoming addicted to. And I'd get them from the library. Librarian knew all the kids who came. And one day she said to me, you know, I see you like all these books about dogs. Have you read White Fang? And I said, no, what's that? And that's how I discovered my love of Jack love London. Them. But it's interesting in the book that these these writers like Hemingway and the, the writers that come, they are like pop stars. That's right. So what's it like if you do a school visit now? Is there any sense of that? Do you think that sort of relationship between young people and writers still exists? When I visit schools, the people who come are readers. So... Yes, they're excited about writing, clearly, and excited to meet a writer who they've read. So there's, a, yeah, I think there's a sort of excitement about that. Not the way it was with us, though. I remember, for example, at my school, the excitement around Robert Frost visiting. And in my second year there, William Golding was enjoying the great success of Lord of the Flies, came to speak to us. And really, it was such an event. And, you know, there was a writing contest where one student would be chosen to have a picture taken in conversation with the great writer. And it was a little different world of that way then. One question from Shivan. As I say, he works in a school. He says, do you think a novel about boys at an elite boarding school, one that doesn't critique the, the institution and sincerely values the literary canon, do you think that book could be published in 2022? I don't know. That's a very good question. Uh, certainly, those very questions you ask would bring it under a perhaps a different kind of scrutiny. But when the book was published 20 years ago, these questions were alive then, too. I mean, I had to, you know, ask myself, who's going to be interested in a book about mostly rich boys going to a school that not everybody can go to? And, uh, and their little dramas and ambitions. But you can almost ask that question about any enclosed world. And in the end, I just thought it was good ground for showing some of these very questions about class and identity that young people struggle with in any context. Now, you may have answered some of my uh, regular questions already. So a book that turned you on to reading, was it Lad, A Good Boy Story, or are we going with Jack London? Probably the, the two of them. Certainly it was Teryun who launched me as a reader. Uh, but then London made me an obsessive reader. Okay, then we'll move to the book that not enough people know about, one that didn't get the fanfare it deserved. I guess the book that I would suggest for that would be a, a, a novel by William Maxwell, an American writer not very well known, called uh, So Long, See You Tomorrow. That is one of the most beautiful novels I have ever read in my life. And it's a heartbreaker, too. God, it's a beautiful novel. Uh, and your final question, the book that you admire so much, you wish you'd written it. This is such a hard question. This is almost going to sound like a cartoon of an answer. But my favorite book, which I've reread now probably five or six times in my life, is War and Peace. But I would have had to be Tolstoy to write it. I would have had to have been a count in Tsarist <laughs> Russia. I would have had to serve at Sebastopol. And I would have had to have served in the Caucasus. But God, I love that book. That is the 
summa. That's it all. The alpha and the omega of novels. Tobias Wolfe on The Wonder of War and Peace and his own title, Old School. And Alex, we're remaining in the classroom, I believe, teaches a lesson. Go on. Well, I mean, I like I said at the beginning, I couldn't narrow this down enough, really. Uh, and there were lots of books that I decided, OK, we won't have it. For a start, we're going to take school in its UK meaning, broadly speaking. We're not going to allow universe. It's not American school. So we haven't got the secret history, for example. There's also a lot of books in which school is a sort of background, but they're not actually walking the corridor. So one of my favourite, L.P. Hartley's The Go-Between, takes place in a summer holiday. So school is very much in the background and it's about school friends. I'm sort of thinking we're going to end up with just three books from the Mallory Towers series. No, I decided we couldn't have. Now, I loved Mallory Towers beyond human endurance. I have chosen three books for much more recent vintage. Uh, one of them is very well known. It's Never Let Me Go by Kazuo Ishiguro from uh, 2005, um, set in a, a rather sort of elite but strange boarding school, narrated at a distance of some time. We've got a sort of adult narrator now. She's left, but she's remembering the very, very traumatic events uh, that took place at Hailsham, this school, uh, and particularly between two of her closest friends. And what we discover, and it doesn't become apparent uh, for quite some time, is that these are children with a difference. They are being used for a purpose. And as the novel slowly unfolds, we realise how dystopian and how how painful that experience is. I mean, it really is one of those heartbreaking books. It's so interesting, isn't it, the way that Ishiguro has used repeatedly throughout his career these sort of, uh, well, they're they're tropes of sort of English experience, the country house, the boarding school, and made them into these essentially sort of near kind of science fiction stories. It's, it's, It's such an interesting thing that he's done over and over again. But also turning kind of that British emotional repression into sort of AI. Exactly. Uh, Your second book about school days. It is uh, an Irish author. It's Paul Murray and the book Skippy Dies. Oh, yes. Uh, This weighs in at at over 600 pages. I believe it was cut down from about 1,000 pages in draft. And it also has one of those beginnings that you, you... do a double take because you think it should be the ending. The hero of the story dies. He dies in a donut eating competition with his best friend. This is Daniel Skippy Juster, uh, thus named because he does look like a TV kangaroo. Children can be very <laughs> cruel, can't they? 14-year-old boys are not nice. He is at, again, an elite uh, Dublin college, Seabrook College, uh, Catholic uh, school. Dublin is known for those sort of rather kind of uh, preppy elite schools, isn't it? And this is this is... Paul Murray's way of taking on that sort of institution and uh, and slowly unpicking it and and that's what he does in this book and and I think it does justify its its 600 pages and I also I really hope that young people read it. I really hope people in school mm. read this book because it's just terrific. Isn't it? It's it's full of... I'm actually a great fan of a book that he wrote after that, which sort of takes apart the kind of Dublin property market, The Mark and the Void. Uh, so that is Skippy Dies. We must say, what the wonderfully titled novel. And my final uh, book is Prep by Curtis Sittenfeld, uh, which again, I mean, it's interesting, isn't it, that so often 
books about schools do go to boarding schools because you've got all these kids in a kind of hothouse uh, environment. And they often take on somebody who's gone in slightly from the outside, slightly feeling their way into an unfamiliar social setting and can therefore observe it. And this is exactly what happens with Lee Fiora, who's a 14-year-old girl at a co-ed school. She's left Indiana and her parents and she has gone to this rather rather sniffy Massachusetts prep school. And it's about what happens to her there. And she carries on this thing of observing these cool girls and these uh, blue-blazered boys and just wondering how they will all grow up. And it's a great, fun book. Uh, Thank you very much, Alex. And if you've been too busy trying to finish your algebra homework to note down the books we've mentioned so far, just visit the Amazon or Audible website, search for the Graham Norton Book Club, and you'll find our webpage with all of the titles we've mentioned. Right, time for this week's book, Old School by Tobias Wolfe. Here to discuss it are the mastermind behind the Bradford Literary Festival, Asima Aslam, MBE. Hello. Hello. Former book blogger and current bookseller, Jared Leachman. Hey, how you doing? Not too bad. Junior doctor and library enthusiast, Varshini Vijay Kumar is here. Hello. Hi, Graham. And teacher and YouTuber, Shivan Davis, who chose Old School for us. Uh, Shivan, uh, what was it about this book that you enjoyed so much? I love this book because, firstly, Tobias Wolff is one of my favourite writers. When I was about 14 or 15, my dad actually interviewed him at Stanford, where, where he was teaching creative writing. And I got to go out, and I've actually met him, but I wasn't old enough to appreciate it. And when we got back from California, my dad said, you've got to read his memoir. And he handed me a copy of This Boy's Life. It was one of the first works of non-fiction that really resonated with me, and I've loved his work ever since. So partly because of, of how much I love the writer... I also think this story just is nostalgic, you kind of lucidly written. I love this characterization. I love the, the themes of deception and, and you know, forming your own identity. So there are lots of different reasons for choosing this one. Uh, Jared, you're a bookseller, a lover of books. Uh, did this book appeal to you? Um, not really. Funnily enough, I do see it very often on the fiction floor. And so when I saw that we were going to be reading this book, I thought, oh, cool, that's the book that I've been kind of seeing but never really knew much about and then when I started looking into it a little bit it was very very difficult to pick up this book because I feel like I should like it because I like a lot of school type things in between there's sex education and then there's this book by a guy called Dilabay Onyama called A Black Boy at Eton. Everything from you know your state schools to your private schools I've consumed that content but for some reason this book just didn't resonate with me at all. Okay, let's go to Simon, because I would have thought people who like books would like it because it's such a celebration of of writers and, and writing. Did it appeal to you? I wasn't sure about it. Probably not something I would ever have picked up. And I'm very Mallory Towers. I like grew up on Mallory Towers and, you know, all the Shelley School books and I loved all of those. So this is not that. I think it felt a little bit Dead Poet Society to me. But th- I think the stuff about the writers is actually really interesting. I completely get that hero worship because I'm a bit like that. If there's, I mean, if there were people who said that, say, Terry Pratchett was awful or, you know, I would just be like, what's wrong with you? You clearly don't get life. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I really, I really enjoyed that. No taste. <laughs> Varshini, you're pretty closest to just uh, <laughs> school. Just about. I'm clinging on. What did you make of, of these school days? I think my favourite 
aspect of this book is that it's a book about being a teenager and being on the precipice of entering the real world and living in a really secluded version where everyone kind of is the same. People are from a very similar background or at least ape to be from a similar background. But it's so funny reading about this very literary boy who has all these ideas about who he's supposed to be and thinking, oh, I should write a poem about hunting an elk. That's a, that's that's what <laughs> the people want to see. <laughs> um, so I really, really enjoyed it as a book about teenagehood and a book about kind of feeling apart from the people around you. I'm interested that, that Jared, you, you didn't warm to this book. Did you not find it funny the way that he skewers that kind of pretentiousness and seriousness of youth? No, I didn't. I think that's probably why it missed for me, because I just didn't find it funny. But it just seemed very much like um, kind of an old man recounting his tales of being a kid. But I didn't feel like it took me back to that feeling of being a kid. You know, there's a lot of TV shows and films out there about being a teenager and all the awkward things. And even like there was a point where he compared a girl's rejection to him being a slave. And I was a bit like, yeah, this is just not, this isn't <laughs> it for me at all. Yeah. I just didn't find it funny. It didn't connect with me. And um, I struggled with it. And Shivan, one of the things that strikes me is this book, it reads like it could have been written 50 or 60 years ago. It doesn't seem like a, a novel that was published 20 years ago. Do you think that was deliberate? I think there was a lot of stuff in the book that actually does feel relevant. So I kind of disagree with you in that. I think the fact that he's writing about the process of becoming a writer, the way in which you have to find your own voice amongst so many other people's voices. And, you know, you can borrow from some writers and imitate their style, but you can't really find your own distinct voice until you've matured. I think that's kind of still modern and still contemporary. The characters who he skewers and the caricatures he draws on are literary figures who are more traditional. So, you know, Robert Frost, Ayn Rand, Hemingway. But it must have been such a joy for him to write that because he just absolutely nails those characters. I was listening to Jared and Sheevan and I was just thinking, I, I think actually the difference is, so when I was reading Mallory Towers, for example, sorry, I know it's Enid Blyton rather than this, but... We all it loved was, it. <laughs> <laughs> you were reading something... That was about school, but it was for your age. And I think I can't imagine reading that when I was a teenager. Do you think maybe being a bit older helps in your enjoyment of this book then? I think so. I feel like it is, he's looking back and, and although it's a novel, it's, it's very much a memoir and it's very much an adult's take on those teenage years rather than actually the way a teenager would actually experience the teenage years. One of the things that does seem like a sort of wild kind of blast from the past, and it seems to evoke this part of life when culture was that important. It was rarefied to that extent that you might have an Ayn Rand camp and an Ernest Hemingway camp, and it's very, very difficult to think of something analogous these days. I mean, I just don't think writers occupy that position in the culture. They occupy a very important position, but it's not rarefied like that, I don't think. No, that's that's taken over by the Kardashians. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I see. So if you had a competition to meet a Kardashian at a school, that would probably be anticipated in just the same same sort of way kind of fervor yeah the other thing that I did think was was really really funny about it is that he's obsessed with writing and he never writes a thing <laughs> never writes a word. he wrote the elk story the terrible elk story oh he wrote the okay he wrote the elk, he wrote the terrible elk story and, and varsity did you get emotionally involved in the story did you know did you feel the stakes were high enough um it's obviously very short and Tobias Wolf is very skilled in making a short story feel like it can expand over the years of someone's life. I got really angry, actually, as soon as I got to the part when 
I realized he was going to plagiarize this girl's story. I was fuming. So obviously he's been like, he's been doing his stupid pretentious things of writing things out on a typewriter because that's what Hemingway does. Obviously he finds this story and decides to copy it. And he doesn't think once that it's plagiarism. That thought never crosses his mind. I found that so infuriating. Did you buy the excuse that he gives as a narrator that it's because this girl is able to talk about her own identity, her own Jewish background in a way that he simply can't? You know, he he has this conversation with his um, roommate, I think it's Bill, or the other boy who who's you know, discovered to have a Jewish father. But it's a complete secret throughout the novel. And it's, it's the fact that this girl has been able to express that and he can't express it because he's, he doesn't want to out himself. I understand what you're saying and that he can express it, but he's given so many opportunities to. Like he talks to someone who is a Holocaust survivor. He has so many opportunities with Bill where they nearly talk about it and just don't. But having gone to a school, not anything like that, but mm-hmm. having gone to a selective school, you yeah. know, the pull to fit in is very, very strong. No, no matter what school you go to, you can relate to... I mean, this is very heightened because of the sort of school you go So, Jared, none of that pushed your buttons, none of that kind of resonated with you at all. I think it's the way he wrote. I think that's all it is, because obviously the themes um, definitely resonate quite a lot. If it was said in, I guess, a different way or a way that just did connect with me then I probably would have been able to enjoy these themes because the more you guys talk about it, the more I'm like, oh, wow, this novel is quite deep. <laughs> I just didn't feel that when I read it. <laughs> oh, Jared, we've all been there. We've all read both and suddenly it feels like, you think, oh my God, I read something completely Yeah, I don't think I read the same one. <laughs> well, before the bell rings, let's find out the scores on the doors. Uh, how likely are people to recommend this book to a friend? Uh, let's start with you, Saima. Um, I think I would give it a six. I enjoyed it, but I, I think I enjoyed it in a kind of um, cerebral, rather emotional way. I wasn't gripped by it. I didn't quite connect with it in the way that I would actually really want to connect with the book. All right, we've got a six. Uh, off to Varshini next. How likely are you to recommend this book to somebody? I think I would give it a seven. I enjoyed the japes and the, and the silliness of all these young teenagers trying to pretend to be writers who they aren't uh, let's get a score from jared uh, how likely are you to recommend this book um so i think this discussion has actually pushed me up to a three i was wow. at a zero um <laughs> after finishing reading Ooh, it wow. but then i i had no idea how it would because obviously my job involves recommending books to customers that's like a big part of my job and i was yeah. like i don't know how i'd recommend this i'd probably just tell them to go watch dairy girls <laughs> after this discussion i think um just seeing it through all of your eyes it's made me see different parts of the book that I'm like, oh, okay, I can see how this customer might like that or this person yeah. might enjoy that part of it. So, yeah, I think a three. A strong three. Yeah, a strong three. And uh, <laughs> Shevan, she, she uh, are you still keen to recommend it to people? Oh, yeah, I have. I recommended it to a friend from from home and he read it in three days and texted me saying how much he loved it. You know, it was one of those novels, if I had to choose maybe 10 to read over and over again, it would be one of them. I love the writing. I think it's so well written. It, there was not a wasted word. He just he just has this amazing ability to craft this perfect sentence, which I'm really envious of. I, I think I would give it a ten, and it's. I would also add it's my favourite book I've read across the four series. Plus, I would say go off and read his nonfiction, read his memoirs. Um, this boy's life in Inferno's army. 
I might do that because I, I say I, I really enjoyed it. I agree with you. I think the writing's beautiful. So that's Old School by Tobias Wolf. Let's find out what we'll be turning our eyes on next week. And I believe it's the turn of Saima. What have you got for us? So we're going to be reading My Name is Red by Arhan Pamuk. Um, I went to um, Istanbul recently and I went to the Topkapi Palace and... I was really fascinated by the fact that the language change. Um, so when you go to the palace, everything is in the Arabic script, but actually the language is no longer in the Arabic script. So I wanted to sort of go back to the Ottoman period and actually read about all of that. So the book is basically set in the Ottoman period. It's about a miniaturist and it's also about some other nefarious deeds that take place. All right. That is My Name is Red by the Nobel Prize winning Orhan Pamuk. Thank you very much, Clubbers, for discussing old school. And I'll see you along the way. Take care now. Bye. 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 See you. Now, time for Talking Books and another young person trying to get their head around things. From there, it had all taken off so quickly. A number one album with Born to Do It. Industry and chart awards traveling across the world and all these young guys asking for the same hairstyle and beard as me, even my trademark beanie. And because it all happened so fast, I didn't know how to quantify it, how to cope with, manage or internalize it. All I knew at the time was that I had to push down any feelings of insecurity. Greg David first found fame in 1999 when Rewind, his collaboration with the Artful Dodger, shot to number one, as did Born to Do It, which included his smash hit Seven Days. He continued to release albums, but in 2009 he took a break and moved to Miami, where he ended up focusing on DJing as TS5, when the house parties he hosted at his apartment became must-go-to events. It led to a return to the mainstream and his comeback album, Following My Intuition, dropped, as the young people say, in 2016. Since then, he's released several more records, performed in the Love Island Villa, got an MBE, played at the Platinum Party at the Palace, and written a book. What's your vibe? Tuning into your best life, gathering together some of the things he's learnt throughout his career. It's now also available as an audiobook, so we needed to talk to him about it. There have been a lot of pop stars writing about their lives recently, so when we spoke, I wondered why he'd chosen a slightly different kind of book. I've been asked to do autobiographies and memoir for so many years. I don't know, I just felt like I didn't have enough life experience to really talk on things in a sort of profound way as someone would if an Elton John, where they've had an expansive career and they've got amazing stories to tell. If I wasn't writing an autobiography, how could I help people if I was to write a book? That was really my, the sentiment of it. I was like, well, if I can use stories and anecdotes and then shift it to a more broader, grander scheme of things that everyone can go through, like depression, maintenance of mental health, lack of boundaries, imposter syndrome, many things that happen outside of being a musician or being in the entertainment industry. I was like, if I could help people that way, then this would be a, a book worth writing. And then it just sort of started to unfold. Presumably you normally deal with your emotions and your life experiences through lyrics. That's what you do. You write songs. What was it like doing it with prose? Was it easier or did you feel kind of self-conscious? What was it like? To really unravel things that were very personal to me that I never really shared with, with the close circles, let alone with the whole world. There was like a healing process and they allowed me to kind of really then go a lot deeper, which was hard because I felt like I was bringing up things from the past. When it started to get to more 
personal stories of my childhood and things I'd experienced, I was like, wow, this is really starting to unravel a lot of things. And once you speak on things, it's different. You kind of, it's out there and you feel like you can give closure to things. So it's been a, a cathartic process, I have to say. And you know, you've talked about the work you've done and um, you're known as this kind of very positive man. You see the light in things. Revisiting some of the darker periods in your life or maybe your childhood did you have any wobbles did it kind of suck you back there yeah I mean it really I mean I I felt like I lived viscerally the experiences that I talk about in the book and they can go they can go back to from your first heartbroken for the first time or an experience of bullying at school and traumas that I now understand as an adult that tend to get lodged in your body so those things, they, they get unaddressed. And it's only really like uh, many people have used like sort of an onion as an analogy of having to unpeel back the onion all the way back to those tears, really. I knew a lot of people could relate to these stories as well. And they would have their own slightly nuanced version of it. And as you're going through bits of your life and you're seeing patterns that you've spotted, you know, like putting a brave face on things or being a people pleaser, was there a sense of the, oh, I wish I could go back and do that again because I'd be so much better at dealing with this second time around? You know what? The one thing I've really sort of come to understand now is that everything sort of, it leads you to where where we are right now that we can actually have this conversation. We can talk about it. I can write a book about it without actually having those experiences personally you can have sort of abstract kind of ideas of how it may feel for somebody else but until you actually feel it that's a point when you can have real empathy and I think from that place on the other side of that is wisdom and you can actually if if you use it to your advantage and you're in a place where you feel like you've overcome something you can share that with other people and they all of a sudden feel like oh I wasn't the only one who went through that. You're absolutely right. Those are the bits that we all empathise with. The pain, the lack of confidence, the insecurity, all of those things we share. Did you get a handle on where the opposite of that came from, where the confidence came from? When you were a young teenager going to clubs, convincing DJs to give you the mic and stuff, where did that incredibly kind of uber-confident boy come from? Do you know what, Graham? It's it's funny because like, I like to say that I sat down and I worked it out and I got ready for it. But there was always this sort of, this small voice inside of me that would say, okay, we're going to record a song today. Or we need that piece of equipment to record the song. So we need to sell the chocolates at school to make some money to buy that piece of equipment. To then say, okay, I need to take this out. And I'm I'm really intrigued at how the DJ plays. And let me watch the DJ and, and really see how he, what records he plays and the reaction to the crowd. And so there's definitely a skill set of, observing but I feel like the actual fire that is lit inside of you is something that you're very much born with and not to coin a phrase but when I say born to do it I'd always gravitate towards music I'd always get the first one to take the microphone and it it was no thought it was like I do this and I'm interested in the audiobook so obviously you're used to being in a studio singing performing all of that what was it like (laughs) listening to your voice talking for that many hours Graham it is so different from recording a song. My world is microphones, right? It's, it's microphones, it's studios, it's press record, it's knowing all the plugins and knowing all the, the software and Pro Tools. And my voice was, it was like I'd done 20 shows in, and only when I did like an hour session of, I tried to break it up so it wasn't too long a day. I was like, wow. Um, something that was very difficult, very hard. But when I listened back to it in its, its totality, I was like, wow, this is amazing. 
And I think that was why I really was quite excited about the audiobook because I I felt that a lot of the audience that I have are used to me singing or they're used to me performing. And I know there's a certain tone and there's a vibration in my voice. And with any audiobook, I've listened to some where I'm like, I have to turn it off because I just don't really believe the person who's reading it for the author is really saying those words. So I was like, if I'm going to do this, I have to land it. So, so books are in your life now. Uh, and you mentioned how important music was when you were a kid. Were there any books in your life when you, you were a kid or did you come to books later? Do, do you remember like the first book that kind of you, you grabbed your attention? It's Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. It's one of my favourite movies, favourite books. The original with Gene Wilder, the, that movie for me was incredible. And I titled the first album Born to Do It from that movie, funny enough, um, when the boy runs into the candy shop and he asks the candy man, how does he do it? He says, well, my dear boy, do you ask a fish how it swims? And the boy says, no. Do you ask a bird how it flies? He says, no. He says, no, sorry, you don't. They do it because they were born to do it. And I was like, that, that, I need that in my life. That is some great trivia. That's a pub quiz question. <laughs> where, where did the title for your first album come from? That's very good. Uh, is there a, a book that you turn to for comfort, a book that gives you kind of help when you need it? I really love uh, Paolo Coelho's uh, The Alchemist. I was just so engrossed in this story, Santiago, and, and from him leaving one place and going on this journey to, to find this sort of elixir of life, to find this thing. And I love those kind of stories where it's like you need to go on those journeys, like in The Alchemist, to almost land back to where you were, but you are there with wisdom. And the final book I just want to know, is there a book that you feel like not enough people know about, one that you've stumbled across that you go, why doesn't everyone read this book? Do you know what, actually, I'd say, outside of The Alchemist, The Wizard of Oz, it's within children's books where they're just very simple, yet there's deep mystical metaphor in a lot of these that you can tell that the people who are writing a lot of these books really wanted to sort of bring it down into a place where people could actually understand the metaphor of sort of the Wizard of Oz, of Dorothy having to go through all those different facets of of herself, the, the scarecrow, the tin man, the lion, all parts of her own psyche that she had to overcome, even looking through the little uh, curtain and seeing that the wizard was a bit of a charlatan. Yeah to finally come full circle to clicking her heels and knowing she could have done that from the start. Craig David on the wonder of the Wizard of Oz and his collection of his own life learnings. What's your vibe? It is nearly home time, but before the final bell, audiobook insider and chart maven Miss Newson is here with the grade sheet. Uh, Holly, who is top of the class at the moment? Uh, yeah, so first we have the autobiography of last autumn with the most staying power. It's Matthew Perry with his book, Friends, Lovers and the Big Terrible Thing. We're talking full chart coverage here. Wow. It's still high in the overall charts, biographies chart, and the audiobook is on the most read and most sold nonfiction charts. I think his honesty, humour and level of fame are the winners here. <laughs> Uh, and of course, I think a lot of Friends fans wanted to understand more about his personal struggles as well. Um, the book has also ended up, though, on lots of um, BuzzFeed-style charts like 12 Celebrity Memoirs That Called Out Another Celeb. Ooh. 
Um, <laughs> which is supposedly Keanu Reeves in this case, if you're wondering. Now I want to read it. <laughs> Keanu Reeves is lovely. I think he said something incredibly mild. Uh, all right. Well, that's our class SWAT. And uh, we're still with school days, I believe. Yes. A Good Girl's Guide to Murder by Holly Jackson, a TikTok book, aka beloved on TikTok, is doing pretty well in the overall charts. But oh, there's yes. more. Okay. It's a book that Isaac, one of the supporting characters in Netflix's Heartstopper series, <laughs> reads in one of the scenes. Um, and I just love this link so much. A Netflix show that was based on graphic novels has made another novel an internet sensation. The Heartstopper production team have seemingly hacked the real-life charts. Uh, oh, what's it about? Okay, so A Good Girl's Guide to Murder is the first in a YA young adult trilogy about a teenager who starts to investigate a closed murder case in her sleepy hometown. Okay, and are you cynical about this? Do you think it was all very deliberate or was it just a happy accident? Um, From what I've read about it, it seems like um, they're a book-loving team. The author of um, the Heartstopper books, she's a huge book lover and she wanted to get lots of novels in there. Oh, great. So I don't I think I think they genuinely picked books that they thought were good and that they thought would be funny for this character or interesting for this character to read. So um I'm on the the slightly less cynical side. Yeah, and also great the kids are, you know, binging a TV series and then turning to books. It's good. Yeah, yeah. 100%. All right. Uh, who is getting the diligence award today? Yeah, so a final call out for heavily bearded record producer Rick Rubin and his book, The Creative Act, uh, which looks at his philosophy on the creative process. Uh, this first caught my eye doing well in the audiobook charts and then appeared on the most sold non-fiction chart too. And it's also a bestseller in philosopher biographies. Lots of famous people have given some gushing quotes about this, uh, but it is the public reviews that make it for me, as they're mostly positive, but do range from a future classic great. Two, it was like listening to the unedited and unaudited thoughts of your stoner friend. <laughs> um, either way, to be honest, I'll probably listen to it soon. Yeah, sort of stream of unconsciousness. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, thank you very much, Holly. Don't forget, you can find details of all the books we talk about on our webpage. Just search for the Graham Norton Book Club on Amazon or Audible and all the information you need will be right there. And talking of charts, you'll find us on Audible or wherever you get your podcasts. So please do spread the word and even better, go along and give us a rating and a review. It helps more people find the loveliness that is us. Our clubbers have gone off to sharpen their pencils for Sheevan's lesson on fronted adverbials. So it just remains for me to thank Miss Clark for keeping me out of detention. Thanks ever so. Well, you know, it's it's a long way to the end of term, Graham. You may want to be careful and keep up to the mark. I've got to go away and put away the netball sashes now. Okay, and eat the many apples that have been brought your way. (laughs) Uh, Do join us next time when, amongst other things, we'll be talking about Simon's Choice of My Name is Red and Sporty Spice, the actual Mel C, will be revealing something of herself in her autobiography, Who I Am. Till then, happy reading and listening, and goodbye. 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 